You're listening to episode 75 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So I'm hot off the website is Dr. Manhattan's Blue Penis in DoomsdayClockYet.com? <laughs> and the answer is still no. I mean, we read the issue. Why did you need to check the website? Right. Man, you don't. You'd never know. Oh, do they have like all the hot leaks? Like they're like they've already they already know about issue five. No, it's a yes or no website. Okay, it's awful. And That's- the answer is still no. And unfortunately, we still have to live on with that information. Hold on, hold on. I need to pardon the euphemism. I need to part the kimono here for a second. Is this a real website? No. <laughs> <laughs> I need to part the kimono here. <laughs> I was hoping people at home would check it out to find that there is no website. Because I, it could be a real website. You feel yeah, me? No. Like, it sounds it sounds plausible. Somebody text Marco and tell him to buy it real quick. Take it to <laughs> let's, let's lock com. that domain down right now. <laughs> it's one of the worst opening bits ever. In 75 issues, you managed to drag us down to the bottom of the barrel. But on the bright side, that means... But the cream always rises. <sighs> no, it doesn't. Not this uh, time. That, on the bright side, that means that this issue or this episode. You did it twice. Go- I was going to let it go the first time. <laughs> this episode can only go up from here. Uh, so thanks, Phil, for setting us off on a great track. Uh, we are the comics. We can always count on you to put the bar low. Yes. Thank you, Pete, for the interruption. Uh, we are the comics pals. Uh, sans Marco this week, sadly, who is in the process of dying in his home. Uh, we wish him the best. But I'm not that confident. Uh, just kidding. Marco will be fine. He'll be back next week. No. No? No, he's- you, uh, Shut up a second, Phil. Are you guys seeing how Phil, uh, 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 Pete's cat That's is looking over its shoulder very seductively? Yeah. Yeah. You video list- or you audio listeners are missing out on some great cat action in the back here. <laughs> I, I, you- I like that Kale interrupted me. Well, I'm talking about Marco dying to be like, whoa, Pete's cat is sexy. <laughs> Which was itself an interruption of Sean trying to get through the fucking plug so we could start the show. So everybody shut up. If you uh, are a fan of cats, then you probably do want to tune into us on YouTube uh, because there is a cat in the background and cat videos do great on YouTube. So uh, we're trying to get in that market. So uh, there you go. Uh, and of course... There are plenty of ways you can find us, including on YouTube. Uh, So I'll start with YouTube first, since that's where we're at. Uh, You can leave this video a like, share it with your friends, and subscribe to our show. Uh, That helps us out a lot. We're we're doing well, subscriber-wise. It's been a good month to us, so let's keep it up. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, just jump over there. Click that subscribe button. It's free to do, and it helps us out more than it costs you. Uh, We're also on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast. Uh, so you can keep that trend going if you want to. You can also leave us a comment there if you like. Uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And, of course, we are at thecomicspals wherever your social media is sold. So, uh, huge, huge, huge week of comic book releases. Uh, I'm talking massive. My pull list, if you guys can see my stack, it is huge. Uh, and on it is uh, Power Rangers Shattered Grid. Nice. One, or, well, I guess Power Rangers 25, the first part of Shattered Grid. Uh, Doomsday Clock, number four. And, of course, Dark Knight's Metal, number six. All of which we're going to be talking about on this episode. So, 
Uh, if you have had the chance to catch up on those books or you're just curious about what we think of them, definitely stay tuned for that. But before we jump into everything, uh, let's do the uh, reader mail for the week. Cool. <clears throat> All right. So this week uh, we had an e- oh Jesus. Uh, this week we had an email from our pal Harris uh, who wrote in and said uh, this is on episode seventy four uh, and he wrote in and said no little John bit guess it's too old for this picks for an existing actor in a superhero villain slash role into another uh, Mark Strong as Lex Luthor I don't who's Mark Strong. He played Sinestro in the Green Lantern movie. He was also in oh. both of the Kingsman movies. Okay. He, he's right. your very stereotypical, um, proper, like, British villain actor. Cool. All right. Well, um, that seems like a solid choice, I guess. Um, I, 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 how's his American accent? That's the question. It's totally fine. All right. There we go. Uh, he, he's a British actor, so it's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Good uh, answer. Uh, yeah, then his other pick was uh, or Donald Glover as Cypher or the Beyonder. Donald Glover as the Beyonder? That's a weird Very pick. Wait, random. I'm thinking of The Watcher, which I would also I would also. It's fuck still weird, that. yeah. The Beyonder is still a weird pick. Uh, I don't vibe with it, but go on. Also, I feel like it breaks the criteria because well, he's never been a superhero, right? Like, he's never played anybody in a... No, he was uh, Miles in the Spider-Man he animated series. He was Miles' series. uncle, not Miles. No, he in was the, I, I in, yeah. in, in, in Spider-Man Homecoming, he was uh, the Prowler. That's true, Red. That's true. I, for, I forgot that he becomes the Prowler. He is Miles in the animated series, though. Yeah, but yeah, that's like kind of a little different. Like, I feel like a voice actor is a little... That's a little different. Uh, I mean, so, ask, a voice, yeah, ask a voice actor. Yeah, get sassy with him, bitch. Fair enough. <laughs> But it's out of the scope of what the random question was last week. So it's invalid. Thank you, Sean. Um, so then Harris went in with his own random question. So I guess that means it's time for the random question of the week. Fucking kill that segment with fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, it's okay. We're up, we're up in the production value here. I'm going to get like a sound bite that's a little less aggressive. It's going to be all right. Uh, so he wrote in and asked, how would you introduce the Fox Studio set of characters into the MCU? With a baseball bat. Yeah. It's <laughs> a great question. The, the answer is I wouldn't. <laughs> then you, if, if you were uh, Marvel, then you don't like money. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> I don't have any money, so I must not like it that much. <laughs> well, that's why you're not a in radio, Disney so. exec. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so for me, I think, uh, I feel like we've talked about this briefly on the show before, so I don't, I won't belabor the point, but I think, um, I have a a pretty distinct idea of how I personally would do this. I think for the X-Men, I would just establish them as like a new group, you know, and, and that they have been, they've been around for however long we decide is is uh, appropriate and that you know they've been in the shadows hiding you know teaching the first group of kids or whatever um and like they have their public coming out party you know like there's some event that happens that they have a very uh public interaction with a supervillain or what have you and then all of a sudden everybody's aware of mutants uh in a very very tangible way um i feel like that's that could easily be done if it's handled correctly uh for fantastic four it would be a little more involved um i think i've pitched this on the show before i definitely like the idea of like a time travel narrative that like they were 
OG superheroes, similar to the way that like Captain America was, and um, they went into space and or not they were OG superheroes, they were a group of scientists, right? Um, and they went into space and never came back, and everyone just thought that they disappeared or whatever, and then you know they get spit back out in modern times. You know, no time has passed for them. But, you know, they uh, they become superheroes in the modern era and you could have like a fun kind of like Tomorrowland retro future vibe to like the Baxter building or wherever their base of operations is and, um, you know, play with, I think, that kind of aesthetic. And I feel like that would really play in this day and age. Um, that's that's my pitch for those two. I guess what I would do is I would have a big office party with all the uh, Disney Marvel superheroes and I would have, have like I would a mixer. Have- and I have HR come in and be like, "The represent our new diversity quota. We have a new a bunch of mutants here that work here now." And everyone's like, "That's cool," but because of the cultural differences, it's not it's not cool yet. And the story is about how they eventually learn how to get along with one another. And then there's the Fantastic Four. Do you wow. do you put the the new people on a table and try to c- celebrate them and point them out because? While they are the same, they are different. They're all new and all different is the thing. And I hate this so much. (laughs) (laughs) Kale, why don't you go? Boy, I I really I don't know how I would do the X-Men. All I can really say about that is we could probably use a a real good um, X-Men bigotry, you know, allegory film right now that would be really good i don't know who i would put that in the hands of though brian singer (laughs) (laughs) oh man or brett ratner (laughs) i've seen i've seen theories going around that um uh they could be introduced in uh, the fantastic four could be introduced in avengers 4 um and that they'll kind of uh I like that they would do kind of a reset, and I've I've sort of thrown this theory around with the with Chris Chris Evans retiring. They'll you know Thanos will will do his big thing, and they'll use the uh, Infinity Gauntlet to reset, and boom, there will be a different Captain America that could shift stuff around enough that um, the Fantastic Four, you know, could be there, could be a presence that we haven't seen, and it wouldn't it wouldn't jar it two differently like they would be introduced into the marvel universe um it could you know uh it could make it could shift like um um uh people's dna to make like uh mutants i don't know um just uh, spitballing here for the worst the worst part of the ideas versus what everybody else has said. That, that, that's Kale going into the board meeting, kind of with like a, a like a single page printed out with like very like the scribbled notes on it, being like ah 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 different DNA. It says here. I don't his, know. His like shirts untucked. He's got like coffee stains <laughs> on it and everything, and he's just like ah whatever. Fucking reality gems. <laughs> you, you told me about this yesterday, <laughs> and they're like, well, it's better than what we have. <laughs> Uh, so for me, regarding the X-Men, I like the idea of Professor X uh, wiping the minds of people whenever there's mm. a mutant-related incident that happens. That's fucking uh, smart. Professor X is very typically a controversial figure in terms of the way that he 
uses his powers uh, to manipulate minds. And I think it would it would set up him as not an antagonist, but a questionable character in the future. Uh, and also, it gets around the question of, well, where have they been all this time? Uh, and then for the Fantastic Four, I like... The, I have the same idea that Pete had, except that I think they should be uh, heroes in from the past who go on a, a, a mission and then something goes wrong, like they end up trapped in the negative zone or yeah. whatever, and they just they come out. You know, maybe because of what Thanos does or whatever, somehow they come out and they're back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like. I feel like um, either the a, any of those strategies we just described would be a pretty easy way to like uh, slide these characters in. But um, after hearing your pitch, I like your idea for the X Men better. Um, that they have been existing in the shadows, but that's why, right? Like, totally makes sense. Like we've seen that happen time and time again. So I, I do like that you gave credence to my ideas. Thank you. No, that's uh, not what I did. He was <laughs> no selling your idea. He yeah. said he liked all of our ideas, but he no, liked yours all of us. our, me and Sean's. Huh? <laughs> wow! 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 Kill, you Kill, yourself you said yours were bad. <laughs> You're like these are the bad pitches. I'm like I don't but, hate them. <laughs> listen, Sean said he liked them all. I don't like to be lumped in with Phil when I actually tried. <laughs> I came up with a great idea, and you're going to be hearing it about this at the office party this Christmas. Okay. All right, so let me get through the rest of Harris's email here. Uh, so he also said that, um, I personally don't think that they will do a Secret Wars movie type yet. Or type movie yet, excuse me. It would be awesome if they did a Fantastic Four reboot with an after credit scene having Reed Richards opening a portal between worlds and having notable character look back at Reed before fading to black. Um, that would be cool. I, I I definitely feel like we'll probably get to alternate dimensions sooner than later. It's one of the last big comic book things we haven't touched on in the MCU in a major capacity. Um, did you just something to say there, Sean? Yeah, uh, I was gonna say that I feel like um, that that could be very confusing, and I'm very interested in how that would work on screen, just because. Having the same, having two characters meet each other in comics is real easy because you know you can just draw them and then have them wear different clothes. You're not dealing with actors, right? So, like, how do you have there be two Thors without, you know, like, are you just gonna have there be two? Like, how yes. do you make that work where there's yeah. two Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, I think you know? I think you just have to have Chris Hemsworth act against himself. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, it, it would be it would be weird. And you're right, it's it's different. It's different than just writing it. But that happens in movies. Huh. Kill, what's up? Wasn't wasn't Harris's point about Reed Richards and not necessarily the rest of the Avengers? Well, he was saying that he would be looking through the portal at someone else, like somebody that's relevant. And I think Sean was taking that to mean like having them be like alternate versions of the characters show up and stuff like that. Well, you said alternate reality. Yeah, yeah, because he said like so that's, I'm, I'm looking that. looking at a portal between worlds and having a notable character look back at Reed Richards before fading to black. So it wouldn't right. have to necessarily be Reed himself, but yeah, mm, that's that's what I'm picturing though. Is the so you've got you know the whoever standing in front of the the portal, and then like you know if it's Captain America, he's standing in front of the portal as it like opens behind him, and he looks over his shoulder and he sees Reed standing there, and it's like oh shit, who's that? Boom. What? 
Listen, Star Trek handled this very appropriately 50 years ago when Captain Kirk accidentally went to a different reality. Spock had a goatee, and that's how you knew that Spock was evil. That's how you differentiate between alternate realities in actual live media. Yeah, so when Scarlett a- Johansson has a goatee, there that's you how go. we'll know. Then you'll know. You'll know. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so then he said, I had no idea about the table RPG for Power Rangers. Thanks. Go in and check that out. Ooh, yeah, that's the Hyperforce RPG. Uh, they have a Twitch stream that's real dope. So what is that? Twitch.tv slash Power Rangers, I guess? Or is uh, I think it's Hyperforce RPG, something cool. like that. Uh, go check it out. Um, and then he said, I enjoyed the whole discussion with anti-diversity. It's an argument which lingers primarily when it affects purchasing power. Unless if there is a complete paradigm shift on sales, then not a lot of change is going to happen. As vocal as people can get on social media, I believe it would only cause a real stir on the issue if it can swing the sales in the favor of diversity. Yeah. Uh, so I've said this many times that people who are, you know, beating the drum of diversity online need to put their money where their mouth is and actually buy the books or shut up because at this point you're not doing anything by saying these things you know what you're doing is you're making marvel dc you're making these companies think that there's this whole group of people out there who are clamoring for this and need this and then when they put the books out you don't even buy them so if, if that is something that you really do need and you really are, you know, you, you do care, then prove it. Yep. And I, I think I think Harris's point is definitely a salient one, right? That like it, it, at the end of the day, like it all comes down to money. You know, um, I think creators are there to make art, right? Like I'm not sitting here saying nobody is making uh, comics because they don't have something to say. But the companies behind those books, they're businesses like they're companies and companies exist to make money, not to make art. And um, Marvel is going to go where the dollars are because they have to, you know, like their margins are so razor thin. They can't afford to. Like, well, we're just going to do this because it's the moral high ground. You know, it's like, well, it doesn't work that way. So, like, if you want to see diverse superheroes, if you want to see diversity in comics um, and not the terrible YouTube channel, uh, you've got to you've got to go buy these books. You know, um, you've, like Sean said, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And if you don't like them, uh, like if you buy it and you think it's bad, like I thought America was bad. Uh, I've said that. You know, I've said it. I've said I thought it was bad, and the, you know, I dropped it because I didn't like it. But there's other books that I really do like that are, you know, that feature diverse casts or whatever. So you gotta, you know, not it's not all gonna be good just because the character is whatever. You know, they they're subject to the same critiques as every other kind of book. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's an interesting problem. Like I do think that, like you know. With America, right? Like America was a big push. It was like a big moment um, in the news, and then it wasn't a great book. So that doesn't really help the the case there. Like when you do want to support diverse superheroes, but maybe you're just not liking the books that are starring them for whatever reason, you know, um, which is going to happen. Uh, but I will say I'd like to take the opportunity to plug a book that does have a diverse cast that I liked quite a bit, which was New Super Hyphen Man. Go check that out. Okay. Super hyphen man. Superman. <laughs> well, that's in the title. I'm I'm articulating that so that if you want to go search for it, you don't just search new Superman and get something else. Jin Lung. There you go. I just did. See, you, 
give me a chance. I said the create. Well, he's the writer. He wrote, he's written all of them, his appearances. It's been like four different artists. <laughs> yes, just stumbled over that plug, but you got it out. Ha! <laughs> so thanks, Harris, for writing in. Uh, he chose to write us an email this week. You guys could do the same thing. You can write in with your by ourselves, random questions and thoughts on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. And of course, uh, you can write us on YouTube, which a lot of people choose to do. So many ways to get at us. Thanks for the email. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Harris. Appreciate it. So I let's don't start, appreciate let's, it. All right, well then, fuck you. Know, that's, that's, oh, yeah, that's fair mean. enough. No, I understand. Someone has to. Someone has to be the villain. I'm not. No, no, no one has to pick on Harris. He's our pal. I'm not letting you do that. Well, look, I'm not picking on him. I'm just saying I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> let's let's dive into the pals polls here. Let's start with Kale, uh, the mean pal, uh, <laughs> Doctor Star, and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows number two. So uh, somehow I missed the uh, the first issue of this. Um, this is the second spinoff from the Black Hammer series, uh, from Jeff Lemire's uh, Black Hammer series. Um, it's about uh, a scientist. It's very similar. It seems very similar to, um, was it Starman? Uh, guy creates a, a cosmic rod and discovers you know, an alternate dimension and becomes a superhero or something, um, is what I, is what I understand the series to be. Um, I'm very excited about it because while you, uh, what's cool about the black hammer series is while you do have these pretty, you know, when you think about superhero, his superheroics, while you have these pretty grounded concepts, they, they're weird. Uh, so the original, series is about you know a, a group of six heroes who are trapped in uh, a small town um and they can't access their powers or use their powers um and they're they're just stuck and nobody knows where they are except the people in this town and the people in the town aren't stuck so it's weird it sounds like twilight uh, zone kind of stuff yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah exactly um they've had a couple of spin-offs they've got uh uh Sherlock Frankenstein and the the Legion of Evil or, or something. Um real excited for that to come out and trade so I can finally get around to that. Um I'm just excited to see this universe expand. That's awesome. Uh <clears throat> so then you also chose Sonic the Hedgehog number one. So this is the the I think it's the IDW reboot that we talked about uh, uh a while back now, but um the original Sonic the Hedgehog title was uh, exactly the problem you think of when you look at comics with a big continuity. It's like, where do I even start? They had something like 20 years of content. Um, I'm I'm excited to jump into a, a Sonic the Hedgehog title, and especially from IDW. I think they're going to do that really well. Yeah, I think this could be really cool. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, I, I would definitely be down to, to check out, check it out if it has, like, the right vibe to it. Like, if you read it and you're into it, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, let us know your thoughts. Uh, and then you also chose Headlopper Volume 2. Uh, so I just wanted to throw this one out there because I love the first Headlopper book. Um, Andrew McLean is uh, uh, an incredible uh, writer, artist. Um, he takes like a, a, a Conan-like character and puts his own spin on on this uh, amazing like fantasy world with these really cool, weird uh, little characters. 
Um, uh, if you don't know the stories about uh, this giant lumbering uh, warrior called um, uh, Headlopper, and he carries around the head of um, Agatha the Blue Witch, who's like the most powerful witch in the world, uh, and everybody's after this head because she's so powerful. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> this one I, th- I think is called the Crimson Tower. Um, and I'm, I'm just really excited to see where it goes. Cool. All right. Uh, so then <clears throat> from Pete's, we've got Snot Girl number 10. Yeah. Uh, so Snot Girl is a book that Marco and I have talked about on the show a lot. Um, so I try not to belabor the point, but, uh, it, it's a fantastic read. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley and uh, Leslie Hung are doing great work on that book. It was me and Marco's favorite book of 2017. Uh, the latest arc has been really cool. I'm like, two issues behind right now but um if you if you're interested in a much different kind of comic story uh psychological um thriller mystery kind of vibe um in a very unlikely setting uh it's definitely a book that you should give give your time to especially if you're a fan of brian's work otherwise you know if you're a scott pilgrim or from the sea any of that stuff uh give it a shot it's good and then you also chose Walking Dead 178. <laughs> Again, what can I say about Walking Dead that hasn't been said before? Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Walking Dead. I love Robert Kirkman's work. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I, I'm an arc behind right now, but the book uh, has been moving in a uh, pretty exciting new direction. It's like the first major movement uh, in the storyline since, you know, the introduction of Negan, really. Um, so, you know, it's, it's big shakeups. And I imagine that there's some even more crazy stuff uh, right on the horizon. So good time to read in the book if you're behind or something. Awesome. So Phil chose X-Men Grand Design, the trade. Yeah. Uh, Sean has gotten me pretty hyped over this the last couple months. We've talked about uh, the idea of kind of designing a series uh, where you streamline the continuity of an entire franchise's run is really mm-hmm. neat. Um, and I'm ready to read one of the most convoluted histories in comics as a, as a single series, as a single, like, uh, linear history. Um, and believe it or not, I really like the X-Men, so I'm really curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, so uh, for context, this collects the first two issues of Grand Design. Uh, and the next two are due out sometime this year. Uh, so this is the first trade of the first two issues. For real? Yeah. This is the book we discussed with Ten Row, right? Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe I'll pick this one up too. It's very good. Uh, and then I chose Batman White Knight number seven. Uh, this book has been absolutely uh, phenomenal. I really highly recommend it. It's it's outside of continuity. It's not any you don't need to really have any kind of knowledge of Batman other than the basics to read this book. Uh, I mean Batman and the Joker, right? Um, and uh, this is the finale issue. I I really love Sean Murphy's interpretation of all of these characters, and I've I've kind of I've kind of like ebbed and flowed on how much I've enjoyed it. Just because some things feel too far removed from what I know these characters to be. Okay. But ultimately, it all makes sense and it's all added up to what I think is going to be a very, very awesome finale. And this book has done really well for DC in terms of sales. So maybe uh, we'll see more in this world depending on how things shake out in the end. So is this a 12 or an 8? 7. Oh. No, I mean 7's the last issue? 
That's cool. Um, yeah, no, I've heard a lot of good things about this book. Uh, Andy from the Video Game Pals has also been trying to sell me on it for a while. So now that it's done, maybe uh, I'll try to get it, through it. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's very good. Um, and I guess I, I guess I could be wrong about it being the last issue, but I was pretty sure it was. Um, at any rate, though, number seven's coming out, and it's good. So pick it up. Cool. So, jumping into the news, uh, we're going to start with the most exciting thing ever. Uh, Marvel's Fantastic Four are finally coming back. I'm so, so, so excited for this. Um, So, obviously, Chip Zdarsky has been working on Marvel 2-in-1, which, if you've been following along with that, has been Thing, or Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm searching for Reed and Sue and the kids. Um, and we don't know how that search is going to turn out, but we do know that the, the the Fantastic Four are definitely going to be returning uh, this August. Uh, and the Spoilers for team-up, guys. God. <laughs> I know. They the found creative them? team <laughs> is uh, also a very interesting element of this. Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli. It's like, What? Bombs dropped, man. That's huge. What a so team. Who, what a team. Who got the the office pool about that? I'm pretty sure one of us said Sarah Pacelli. One of us did. I don't remember who it was, but I remember when we were talking about what she could do next. We were like, hey, somebody's got to do Fantastic Four when they come yeah. back. So I feel like it was me. I don't, I don't remember. Know. Go look back through the episodes. No. Well, we'll never know then. I'm just going to take the money. Yeah, he just wants to add to the Kale was right foundation here. Yeah. That's all he wants. Um, we're, but, we're in desperate need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sean, this is a really exciting announcement, um, obviously, right? The return of the Fantastic Four itself is a huge deal, but um, I, I just feel like this creative team on top of it is is just really cool. I mean, we've really never seen Sarah Pacelli work on anything but Miles Morales at a serious mm. capacity. Um, so that's super exciting. And uh, and then, you know, it, it's kind of funny that it's her and Dan Slott. Like, they're both coming off, like, a super huge lineage with Spider-Man to do Fantastic Four together. Uh, yeah. It's cute. <laughs> I like it. Uh, any other thoughts? It's about damn time. Hmm. Yeah, so I am I am excited for the idea that this is happening. I don't like the announcement. Uh, I get it. You know, I understand that you want to announce these things in advance so that there's the uh, you know so that there's the hype and opportunity for pre-orders and stuff like that. But if if they knew that they were going to relaunch the series in August, and they should have already done something to tease that in a bigger way in the comics or shown them somehow or something because now whenever it is revealed in Marvel 2 and 1 I presume that these characters are back it's not going to have the same weight because we already knew it was coming and I really really miss the days of old when you would get through an event or something and something amazing happened that was so shocking and surprising that it really amped you up for the future as opposed to always knowing what was coming ahead of it actually happening. Uh, but like they made a, a book specifically about Ben Grimm and, and Johnny going out to find Reed and Sue. Did you, you didn't think that's what was going to happen? 
Are you reading the book, Kale? No. Okay. So, <laughs> um, but like, no, book. hang on. Don't don't laugh at that sass. Like that's uh, that's not a foregone conclusion. So as I was saying, in the actual <laughs> book, uh, it's it's they're made to look. It's made to look like what they're doing is fruitless, and there's like a whole other adventure going on. Uh, so Ben is basically trying to convince um, Johnny that there is hope, despite n- him knowing that there isn't hope, because Johnny is losing his powers because, well, they're he's, they're losing, they're both losing their powers because they're separated from Reed and Sue. But Johnny specifically is going out of his mind and he's feeling lost in the world without his sister. So th- there's there's not I, I was never under the impression that there was a concrete guarantee that they were absolutely going to come back and definitely not in this way. Uh so just because the book was announced and just because there is this Marvel 2 in 1 doesn't mean that there wasn't a cool way to announce this within the books themselves. And that part I'm not arguing with, but the fact that this wasn't a foregone conclusion at some point with Marvel 2 and 1 is like that that doesn't really make sense to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I um I, I definitely get that sentiment, Sean, especially like since, you know, I'm not reading two in one. So like I, you know, hadn't thought about the fact that this reveal kind of spoils that. Um, I don't see why they couldn't have timed the announcement of this book at the end of two in one. You know? Like yeah. if they knew they were gonna do this, you know, make FF come out later or, mm-hmm. you know, start two in one earlier, whatever they needed to do, like to have it play out that way where they could end it, get the tease, have the announcement, and then have the book start long enough away that they could still get the preview cycle and all that stuff. Like, you know, I'm not a businessman, but that's their job to figure that kind of thing out. And I, I, I think you're right that, like, they shouldn't be spoiling plot points for readers um, for hype. Especially since 2-in-1 is, is, is going to continue after this. So... There's going to be the Fantastic Four book coinciding with two and one, so that opens up the, the door for questions about what's two and one going to be at that point. Is the reveal of the of Reed and Sue's return going to happen in two and one, or is it going to happen in some other book? There's a lot of questions still up in the air, but I love the idea of you know seeing it unfold within the comics themselves rather than some press release. Yep. So uh, that's frustrating. Here's a question for you. And this might be getting us a little off topic, but do you think that two and one has the, do you think two and one is going to still be about Johnny and, uh, and Ben after the fantastic four reunite? Or do you think that they're going to transition it? Cause like when they announced it, they were like, Oh, we're bringing back this title that used, it was like this Marvel legacy book. And you know, the legacy of it isn't those characters necessarily. So do you think it's going to just shift and be about another group maybe or another pair? Uh, I think it'll probably uh, resemble more of what two and one was historically rather than what it's been recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it'll focus on Ben and Johnny. I think it'll shift, uh, which would make all the sense in the world. It's just weird because the book was announced as one thing and now it's going to presumably continue to run on and then just be about something totally different. Right, which that was expected back when that book was a thing and it, that's really not how comics work anymore. So I'm going to be interested to see how they choose to handle this, honestly. 
My my yeah. assumption would be that they would continue it with probably Ben, right? He's the kind of the heart of the book from the way you're describing it. They they did something kind of similar with like Batman Brave and the Bold, um, you know, the animated series. And then um, I believe Batman was uh, a main character of the Brave and the Bold um, comic series as well. And he just kind of teamed up with someone different each issue. Yeah, that's how it worked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, I, I don't know, I guess we'll have to see, like, if it'll become, like, an anthology kind of series where they'll tell a story mm-hmm. with two characters and then move on, or will it be about one of these guys teaming up with other people? I don't know. Because I was thinking it might be an opportunity for them to do an Iron Fist and, and Luke Cage story now that Luke's book is over. Yeah, they, they actually just had a, a series, Power Man and yeah. Iron Fist, that got canceled okay. uh, well, a little bit ago. Even better then, right? Like. Does Iron Fist doesn't have an ongoing right now, does he? Yeah, he, yeah, does. he does. Okay, all right. <laughs> doing doing great, Pete. <laughs> well, I don't fucking know. I don't. I I you regularly just say on this show. I don't. I don't read Marvel, modern Marvel stuff. Like <laughs> uh, Ch- Chip Zdarsky is an interesting writer uh, in that the only he only has the two books right now, um, the Spider Man and this one, and I feel like this could be a great opportunity to allow him to play with a lot of different characters within the one book. So instead of giving him multiple ongoings, he sticks with two and one, but he gets to every issue or, or every arc or whatever, play with a different cast. I think that yeah. could be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to be interesting to see too, because he just signed that exclusive writing deal with them. So I wonder how if he's going to be taking on more books or if they are going to like let him stick on a, a few. I don't know. He's, he said on Twitter, as long as he's still drawing sex criminals he can really only do the two uh writing right. jobs that so. makes sense and i know that's part of his contract um yeah. is that he's you know sex criminals was uh i forget the term that chris used last week but or two weeks ago or there whatever um but that, that's like in his contract that he can continue doing sex criminals indefinitely so yeah maybe this would be the way to sean's point to let him write a bunch of different characters uh without having to have him take on monthlies or miniseries that are a bigger commitment you know yeah so we'll see and those would all work as uh trades then too you know like you could do the trade of his run on these two characters for six issues that was in two and one the next one the next one the next one i don't know that could work yeah so the the future of two and one is interesting but i am excited for reed and sue to finally finally return to the books and i wonder if their return will have anything to do with this announcement uh marvel has announced what their uh summer event will be this year and it's going to be infinity wars i wonder why they would do something like that yeah i don't know i have no clue yeah i like because i've i've sort of been a little absent in 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 my usual duties of kind of putting together all the news this week i i sort of expected that bit of that announcement to be oh a fantastic four movie I wish it was. Uh, so, Infinity Countdown is a book that has been running, um, and uh, Jerry Duggan has been writing that, and that's been kind of like this thing that they've been working with. And we know that uh, several characters in the Marvel Universe have acquired Infinity Stones uh, recently, and Infinity Countdown is going to lead to Infinity Wars. So, Infinity Wars Prime... Uh, number one will drop in July, and here's the description of that. 
In Infinity Wars Prime number one, the heroes and villains of the Marvel Universe reap what they sow as they as their frantic search for the Infinity Stones leads to cosmic madness like never before. The simmering events of recent months spiral into something much, much bigger in this colossal story. So we'll learn more at C2E2, uh, which starts on April 6th, but we did get a very, very nice cover from uh, uh, Mike Diodato, who is going to be doing the art on this book, and it is awesome. Um, so what do you guys think? Any, any thoughts? So do we know who's writing it? Yeah, Jerry Duggan. Jerry Duggan, huh? I think it'll be okay. <laughs> I'm not a... I hate to say this. Uh, I don't really like to disparage creators, but I, I'm not a big fan of his stuff. I've read a little bit of what he's done, and it, it really hasn't done anything for me i'm gonna read this i haven't read infinity countdown yet but i am anxiously anticipating pick, uh starting reading that but uh for him to get the big summer event yes feels very strange to me yeah no i i 100 agree with you uh and like good uh, well, I was just gonna—I was gonna add to that. He—I feel like his Guardian stuff is pretty well reviewed. It's just that they, the Guardians books, have a really hard time being sold. Yeah, because they've gone through like four reboots since, like, like in the span of the the time the the movie has come out. Both movies Why do you have think come that out. Is? I mean, I, I, I think it's just a, a tough book to sell. I don't. Like I said, I don't necessarily think, and you know, uh, again, I, I haven't read it, but like his stuff is is well reviewed, and he, you know, I've listened to him talk about stuff, and he he does seem very competent about what he's doing. So, Guardians of the Galaxy was like ECW ten years ago. It had a real <laughs> rabid core following, and it kept the book afloat, and it made the team popular and relevant to a larger audience. Then the movie came out, and all of a sudden it became mass appeal. So this is when ECW got purchased by WWE, or where they created, where WWE created oh, ECW. And it lost what made it lost what made it special originally because all the books that came out after the movie were in some form or another kind of derivative of the movie or trying to appeal to what made the movie successful. And like WWE, ECW, it's a flounder. Yeah, after the first movie, Bendis took the took the reins of the, um, and he he had it for a little while. And it was a, yeah. it was terrible, but I hated it. Yeah, it was absolutely awful. But uh, Jerry Duggan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny. I do want to just say I I do think that that's a really salient point about the Guardians, Phil. Um, I, I I think that like, and this you know, let me make this point before you jump down my throat, uh, listeners and co-hosts. Um, oh boy, I, that's a terrible preface. <laughs> Yeah, well, this happens quite a bit um, where I I really do think that, like, Marvel has a warped perception of the relevance of the Guardians. I think that the Guardians are, are relevant t- to your point, right? Like, they had a core following. They were, like, a niche, uh, like, you know, thing in Marvel history that a lot of people liked but weren't didn't have mass appeal. The movie blew up and was like a sensation and is a sensation. 
And I think every single thing since that has just been like chasing that vibe and aesthetic and no one is capable of making it because they're not James Gunn. Like they're they're and they don't have the actors like it's a tone that is specific to those movies that isn't like the Guardians that inspired those movies. And I think trying to chase it, whether it's in the comics or even in uh, Telltale did a video game about them. That's just super lukewarmly received because it feels hollow. You know, it feels like a reflection of the films. And I don't really think anyone's interested in that. And I don't think those characters have the mass appeal outside of that um, mainstream success to carry for each of them to carry their own book or multiple franchises or, you know, anything like that. And that's what Marvel's tried to do. What do you what do you have when you make something that's cool and it's so cool that it it it's, it spins the creation of a movie and then everything after that tries to be like the movie so you not only lose that original audience that liked this cool thing that was happening lightning in a bottle but then you lose that broad audience because it's not as good as what the movie was because it's just an imitation. So you lose the broad audience and you lose the core audience like that. Yeah, and you're just left with something that's not, you know, it's not appealing to anybody. But the the original point is Jerry Duggan's done a lot of Deadpool, and I think Deadpool is a real, real like a lot of like a lot of authors have taken a spin at Deadpool, and ever since Daniel Way, who was a huge miss, but like the most formative writer on Deadpool pretty much ever everyone has tried to do their own kind of daniel way spin on the character not not joe kelly joe kelly was like the definitive original deadpool uh writer but daniel way changed the character let jimmy chong is all that stuff and i I feel like it's, it's it's similar to the guardians thing duggan is like taking two things that had a real large following and doing kind of a poor imitation of what made those things popular. I don't know if I agree with you about Deadpool. Um, I read I read quite a bit of his uh, Deadpool run um, while I, while I was in school, um, and I I did actually really enjoy it. I thought I thought it went some really weird and, and interesting places. Which Deadpool series did he do? Was he doing the main book or like one of the side ones, like Merc with the Mouth or something? No, I think it was the main one. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that I've read that one then. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I think what Kale said about Jerry Duggan's Guardians being well-received is accurate. Um, and so I don't think that the problem is that the Guardians book is bad. I think the problem is that the other point you were making, Phil, is that the, the audience that Marvel thinks exists exists, but not for comics. Mm. So, or Yeah, or not in the way that they think they do. For sure. Right, exactly. Whatever their expectations are for sales for the books is just not realistic based on who's actually looking for the Guardians in comic book form. Um, but yeah, so look, I'm looking forward to Infinity Wars. Uh, I don't know why, you know, but I don't know why. I really don't. I like, I like, I like Mike Deodato's art a lot. I'm a super fan of his. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. As I catch up and as Infinity Countdown wraps, maybe my excitement will be rooted in something tangible other than just Marvel fanboy hype. Or, what, or uh, is, Sorry, go is ahead, the, Phil. Is the anticipation, I wonder, uh, related to the film for you? Because obviously you're very excited for the film. Like, is there a correlation for you, you think? 
No, it's literally just that anytime Marvel announces a summer event, I get excited. Okay, That's fair enough. How I am. Yeah. What num What number event is this? After they said they wouldn't do any more events. Well, uh, let's see. They said that. Uh, two, was it last year or two years ago? I mean, I was definitely in New Zealand when when they said that. So last year. So last year. Uh, so, uh, well, if you count Infinity Countdown as an event, then that's an event. Uh, and then this is also an event. And um, uh, that's it. So two. Is that true? Let me. Th- well, you, you got to New Zealand in what, September? Yeah. Secret Empire had just wrapped. Uh, and um, Marvel Legacy had just begun. There haven't been events since then. Generations, I guess, maybe. No, that was all. That was within yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hmm. I'll take your word for it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna check it. But my gut says different. <laughs> I appreciate. I appreciate well, you holding the feet to the fire, Kale. If you, it, Kale, if you if you classify event as um, major crossover, then I'm pretty sure I'm correct. Okay. Uh, okay. So pe- people, I don't know. People have different ideas of what Ooh. events are. What about damnation? Damnation? I don't consider that an event. That's um. That's I, like I would say it's a small event for sure. That's still an event. Uh okay. If, I mean, all right. You, uh, we'll have to we'll have to argue about this later. But like I said, I'm not gonna check, and I'm. But I, I've, I'm. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great bit for our audio listeners. Scale. He's just pointing. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, again, everybody has their own idea of what an event is. So if sure. you feel like Damnation's an event, then that's that's on you. Kale, Kale's like a dad who, like, finds out his kid was kind of underperforming or acting out in school. And he's like, I'm not going to hear about this except from your mother. So if you do it again and I hear it from her, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> With less, yeah, less words, more pointing. Yeah. And facial expressions. So uh, we just watch talked about Deadpool. YouTube. <laughs> we just talked about Deadpool. And uh, everybody was anticipating the FX show, the animated TV series that Donald Glover was working on. Um, but now that series has been canceled. Uh, it is not happening. This is the official word from FX on this issue. Due to creative differences, FX, Donald Glover, Stephen Glover, and Marvel Television have agreed to part ways on Marvel's Deadpool animated series. FX will no longer be involved with the project. FX and Marvel have an ongoing relationship through our partnership in On Legion, which will continue. That's that's shocking. Uh, so the announcement was made. And uh, Donald Glover and Stephen Glover were were going to show run it, executive produce it, write it, everything. Apparently, there were scripts already in the can. Uh, I believe there was also, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe I read that there was actually also some some test footage that was rejected. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that just leaked like yesterday. Yeah, so th- I mean, this is still unfolding. Um, now Donald Glover took to Twitter. He's my favorite uh, person. To- <laughs> To uh, hit push back on some speculation that he didn't have the time to work on the series or that the series was quote unquote too black, which uh, both him and his brother have come out and uh, spoken out against. And Donald Glover put out a 14 page script from the show. Uh, the reason why I say that with quotations is because this script is definitely not from the actual uh from any actual episode uh it's more a meta commentary on what is actually unfolding and the 
the cancellation of the series. Now, Donald Glover has actually deleted his Twitter or his Twitter was deleted or something. So uh, these these pages, these script pages are no longer available through Twitter. But uh, monkeysfightingrobots.com actually has the... Uh, the, uh, the write-up, so uh, I'm reading from it here. Uh, a lot of it is just, you know, jokes about, you know, what's unfolding, meta jokes about various different things. Some of the lines that caught me uh, are some of the following. Um, so here we go. This is, this is uh, Deadpool talking about the cancellation. I mean, I get it. Maybe they just want to sell toys. And this style of comedy isn't it. It's more haha, but I'm mad. I get that. Uh, do they think they can, do you think they canceled the show because of racism? Yeah, but all the writers were black and the references were pretty black too. I heard they went over the lunch budget ordering Jamaican food at least once a week. You're right. Black Panther. Maybe we were alienating our white audience. No, we did a whole goat yoga episode. Damn, what was it? No, the Taylor Swift Swift episode? Nah, no. They had to have loved that script. Are you fucking kidding me? That episode's hilarious. What, the Marvel stuff I said in it? All I said was Marvel was trying to sell toys to 7-year-old boys and 50-year-old pedophiles. That's just funny. They're cool. They get it. <laughs> So there, you know, there's there's a lot more to it. Uh, there's, you know, it's like I said, it's 14 pages. So if you want to read it, you can. We've got a, a link to uh, the script itself that you can check out. The 14 pages. Um, what do you guys make of this? This is really weird. So the whole situation is weird, but I do want to add a little bit of context. Um, Donald Glover deleting the tweets isn't uncommon. Uh, if you follow him on social media, you'll see like basically ever since he went through his like midlife crisis and like you know kind of became more known as a musician for a while now that he's kind of transitioning back he that's the thing he started doing on social media like he used to have a website with a blog and he was everywhere and you know he got his career started on social media but now he'll tweet things and then after a certain amount of time he just deletes them so like on his twitter the day this happened the only tweets he had were those 14 tweets so um that's just context worth mentioning there um so i doubt he removed them as any kind of like you know, statement. That's just a thing he does. Um, but yeah, in terms of the overall reaction, to this I'm disappointed. You know, um, I'm I'm not a huge Deadpool fan, but I do like Deadpool, and uh, I love Donald Glover. You know, I um, I've been a huge fan of his stuff since his Derek comedy days, and um, you know, I. I enjoy uh, his music quite a bit. I think his dramatic stuff has been really cool, but the idea of him writing and show running a comedy series for 10 episodes was something I was really, really excited about. And uh, the fact that he's not going to be able to do that anymore is something I'm really disappointed by. I think if they had been able to get the show that he wanted to make, um, or I guess if we were able to get that show, that it, it would have really been something unique and special. You know, because that's what he does is his stuff is always uh, fresh, if if nothing else. So I'm super disappointed that we don't get to see this come to fruition. And uh, I think to me, like my read on the situation is whether it was a thing of it being too black or the content or whatever. Like, I feel like what this boils down to to me is them wanting the name Donald Glover on the project and then being upset when they actually got Donald Glover. 
you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd kind of be surprised if it was FX that dropped the hammer on this. I think it was probably Disney just because I, you know, FX has given him a lot of fucking rope with Atlanta in terms of like giving him the freedom to do it on his own schedule, to put touring before it. Like they seem to have a pretty good relationship with him. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have any information to back that up, but that's my gut read based on what I know about their working relationship and him as a creator. Disney? I'm, I'm very inclined to believe that it was Fox that pulled the plug because you think? Deadpool, the Deadpool rights are owned by Fox. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Why they, would it be didn't Disney? Didn't they mention Disney in the press release, though? Of course, because yeah. it's always it's always a it's always a collaboration, um, right? But, but wouldn't that mean if they're collaborating on it that they have some say in the project? Well, I don't like, think I mean, so because can, they've you can always say I don't want to do this anymore. They've like, never they they've never had the ability to control any of the projects outside of what they own. That's they a good don't point. own Deadpool. Hmm. How can they pull the plug? Okay, so then Fox, which yeah. And the, um, I mean, Atlanta is a much more. Uh, that's a. It's more, different. That's a more focused show than Deadpool. Deadpool would be used to try to appeal to a much larger audience because yeah. it's a popular IP. Yeah, that's a good point. And if it wasn't going that way, then. Right. I get the impression, especially from a tweet that uh, Stephen Glover uh, sent out. Um, uh, he said. He said. Uh, that the, he said there was a Deadpool or a Deadpool. There was a Taylor Swift episode. It was hilarious. I think that was the last straw. LOL. Yeah, uh, I remember he said that that was like a. It seemed like a breaking point. Right, and so to me, the I think I think you're probably right. They probably wanted that Donald Glover name. They wanted to you know, um, get more of what he brings to the table in terms of his audience and his fan base. But honestly, uh, I could see a scenario where they just took it too far, weren't listening to the notes, kept kind of doing what they what they wanted to do, and FX got tired of it and pulled the plug. And they're well within their rights to do that. Uh, honestly, I I never cared about this show. I wasn't going to watch it. Not a Deadpool fan, uh, and I'm not a Donald Glover fan. And I don't care, honestly, that it was not that it, that it was canceled. Yeah. I have no. I have no feelings about that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I uh, don't really have a strong opinion about Donald Glover, and I'm not a Deadpool fan. It was not made for me, so it's unfortunate that his project got axed, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's very interesting. It's like this kind of thing happens, you know. Like this is exactly what happened with Edgar Wright too, with Ant Man, you know. Or like sometimes you just have an auteur who wants to do the thing that they were hired to do. And, you know, if they don't want to listen to the notes or they don't want to play the studio's game, like that's not going to always go the way that they want. And like, frankly, when you're like Donald Glover, Edgar Wright, like you don't have to, you know? So it's like, why compromise your vision and make a show you don't want to make when you have another TV show that you have a hundred percent creative control on. You have a successful career as a musician. You're acting in star Wars and the lion King. It's like, all right, fine. Fuck it then. You know, like let's keep pushing back and see if we can get away with it. And if we can't, we can't, we'll do something else. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think all parties involved will be fine after this. I don't think that this is going to affect anybody in any way. I guess it's a shame in the sense that it would have been something fresh. As you said, Pete, 
just something different, something to shake things up. But um, you know, if Marvel and Fox weren't happy, then Marvel and Fox weren't happy. And yes, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And it's ultimately so. their right to to pull the plug on it. Yeah, but I I, I do think it is unfortunate because like. You're right that like if Donald Glover wants to make another cartoon, I'm sure he can find that avenue to do that. And I'm sure we'll see another project from him and his brother soon. But I think it would be cool to see more innovation from creatives in the big budget, you know, IP space, because, you know, that I think it needs that. You know, I think we do need more, um, you know, people who are willing to take risks and more creators that have uh, a distinct vision for a project like that. You know, like it would have been cool to see a black Deadpool show and not that Deadpool is black, but a show that was, um, you know, that had that like, you know, uh, that angle to it is like we've never had uh, an animated superhero show, to my knowledge, that was show run by two black men, you know, so like that would have been cool. And, I, you know. Uh, especially from a creator that I do really like, but you know, whatever. Guess this is uh, just one one of those projects that'll go down as uh, what could have been. Yep, exactly. Uh, and uh, increasingly, I believe that these next two projects are going to go down the same way <laughs> because uh, New Mutants has been delayed again, and oh. X Men Dark Phoenix has been delayed. So let's break this down. Uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix was originally supposed to come out this November and has now been pushed back to February 14th, 2019. Uh, New Mutants was originally supposed to come out April 13th, so just a few weeks from now, and... Then was pushed back to February. Yeah. (laughs) I I had no idea that it was supposed to come out this April. I remember that from from a while back. Wow. Um, and then was pushed back to February 22nd, uh, 2019, uh, and then pushed back again to August 2nd of 2019. That's never coming out. It's never it's coming out. It's unprecedented to see such huge tentpole movies pushed back this much. Now, the, the story with New Mutants is an interesting one because New Mutants is supposed to be a horror movie. Uh, and that's all well and good, but initially they didn't want it to be leaning as, as much in on the horror elements because there was no precedent for success in that, in that realm until it came out. And when it came out and it did so well and people loved it so much, Fox said, Hey, go back, reshoot the movie, add more horror because it was great. And we want to cash in on that. And so they went and they, they, they've, Tried to, you know, make that happen. On top of that, uh, they're allegedly adding new characters to the movie. Um, which is crazy to think that. <laughs> so they're reshooting up to 50% of the movie. Ooh. Uh, possibly. That's great. That's a really good sign. Right. That worked so well for Justice League. <laughs> right. Uh, oh my god. And they're adding a new character. This is unbelievable. And then the story with Dark Phoenix is they 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 just need to do reshoots, right? And Sophie Turner is busy. busy. She's Sansa. Yeah. She's Sansa and Game of Thrones has to film. And they can't they can't do the reshoots without her because she is the main character in uh Dark Phoenix. And she is she has obligations to Game of Thrones, 
So that had to be pushed back. So that that's a little more, you know, straightforward. The New Mutants story is unbelievable. I, I I don't think those are going to go the way of Deadpool. Those movies are going to come out one way or the other. Uh, it would be hilarious, however. We if get they uh, came out we get Sophie like, Turner with a a, a janked up mouth because she had to <laughs> shave her. She couldn't well, shave her mustache you, you in time joke, for. But there's Dark a real Phoenix. possibility yeah. that they release on Disney streaming service. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I i don't think that dark phoenix is i dark phoenix is coming out i i, I feel like that's that's a foregone conclusion i feel like new, i'm with i can't, I can't I believe it's like supposed to come out in like two weeks like, there's already two trailers bananas. for it it will eventually come out in some form or another it is a movie that will come out I, so i know that's insane that's insane and then it's, it's yeah. supposed to come out in two weeks, and then they're like, hey, never mind, we're going to reshoot 50% of the movie. Um, that's insane. Well, it was it was pushed back months, like a while ago. It was, originally, okay. it was supposed to come out in two weeks, but it was pushed back a while ago. What The news here is that it's been pushed back yet again. Again. Oh, oh right. Okay. I'm with you now. I'm, I'm with you on the timeline now. Okay. Because I remember it getting pushed back to 2019 already. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it might just be the... It might just be my experience, like, following the video game industry, but, like, just because a trailer for something exists doesn't mean that it's not. Like, there's there's a term we use in the video game industry called vaporware. <laughs> this this might be vaporware. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, like, you're probably right, Phil. I'm not taking a hardline opinion here, but if this movie doesn't come out, I'll just be like... I, I can't... Ah! Rem- I can't remember an, a, an instance where a major film that was so late in production that had trailers I mean, and everything, and there was first actual, time for like, everything. money being funneled into like a, a, a PR movement for it, did, got shelled that late. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But is, is this is this late anymore? Because now we're fifty percent into the prog- project again. Like it went from being the end of the project to now we're literally we're back. 50% of the way through it. A cut of the film was shown to studio executives. Right. And they said, it's not scary enough. Take it back and reshoot as much as you have to. And so that's where the 50% comes in. That's what sources are saying, uh, that it could be as much as 50% that needs to be reshot. Like That's a lot of work. And then you're starting PR and everything all over again, basically, you know, in another year when you do the blitz and you're going to spend all that money again. And like by then, who knows where the Disney deal is going to be in progress? Like there's like this whole thing is unprecedented. You know, the only way I can see this not being released in theaters is if the Disney deal actually holds up the release of the film because of the timeline. I think because of how much a movie like this cost for a major film studio like Fox and how how calculated it would be it would be a disaster to not release a film like this and especially dark phoenix which is going to be like a benchmark film for them for that year that's definitely coming out i'm convinced i think i think they're both too late in the process to not come out i i see a very realistic scenario whereby these movies do not release in theaters uh and I also think that it's to it's to Disney's benefit that they don't release in theaters because these movies 
are confusing to audiences if Disney gets the rights to the X-Men and then wants to reboot. What about the fact that they just released these movies? Now, if Disney gets the rights and they have two major motion pictures that they can release on their streaming platform, that's a huge boon for them. Yep. That's very attractive. I'm not suggesting that Fox is doing this on purpose, but I do think that it, it's very favorable for Disney for this to be happening. There's another there's another very interesting tidbit that I don't think a lot of people realize or have talked about. Mr. Sinister was actually supposed to have a cameo in this movie in the end credits. In New Mutants now, or Phoenix? In, in, in New Mutants. Okay. Now, those of you who, who, who recall uh, uh, Days of Future Past, not Days of Future Past, uh, Apocalypse. The end of Apocalypse, there is a, a scene where they show uh, the Essex Corporation, right? And these people walking around with briefcases and all that jazz. Um, uh, and they're teasing Nathaniel Essex, who is Mr. Sinister. The crazy part is that in New Mutants, at the end, in the after credit scene, John Hamm was playing Mr. Sinister. What? And that scene has now been cut. No! God damn it, we were so close, you guys! We were so close. Yep. We can... Oh, well. Where to go, Fox? You we, can, we can still use him for something else, guys. Let's... They they, they pulled the ripcord and they got him out. We can still get him for Batman when Batfleck finally gets out of here. I mean, that would... I don't even think that matters. Fucking James... Or not James Spader. Um, what's his name? Who's the guy who's playing Thanos and um, and also Cable? Josh Brolin. Brolin. Yeah, yeah Brolin. Brolin. He's fucking double dipping. Absolutely. He's proven you can do it. I... I I don't like the idea of John Hamm playing Mr. Sinister, but I was super intrigued when I read this at the possibility of getting that. And now the knowledge that we're not or that we, I mean, I guess they could always, you know, put out the scene, add him back or, you know, use this some other way or whatever. That could always happen. But uh, the way this movie's shaping up, I am not so sure we're going to see that at all. I'm interested to see how this all shakes out, frankly, because I'm not confident either way. You know, I think either scenario, like, seems equally likely for me it's it's weird it's really weird and unprecedented it's a fun story very fun story development hell is is a thing we all know of but i think phil made a great point in that once a film is 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 this close to being done you typically don't have situations like this play out so it's very unique uh and so we're we're in territory where we can't call what's going to happen it's really weird uh, so shifting over to comics, specifically DC Comics, uh, Dark Knight's Metal wrapped up this week, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But uh, DC has announced several new titles in a whole new direction for the Justice League. Uh, so at their panel at uh, WonderCon, uh, Scott Snyder talked a lot about what's going to be happening with the Justice League in the future, including... That Darkseid himself will be joining the Justice League. Like, how crazy is that? Like, what? <laughs> All right. Very crazy. It All make, right. It doesn't make any fucking sense. That's comics. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. 
Well, maybe when you hear the pitch, you'll you'll feel differently. Who knows? So in addition to Scott Snyder's Justice League, which we already know is coming, uh, Justice League Dark is going to be coming out. Uh, it'll be written by James Tinian IV uh, and drawn by Alvaro Martinez. Um, so, you know, Justice League Dark is a, is a book we're all very familiar with. It's the supernatural element of the Justice League. And the new lineup will have Zatanna. Uh, John Constantine, Swamp Thing, Boo. which Marco will be very Oh, excited I'm so about. excited for that book. I love Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man Bat will be a part of the team. That's cool. Detective Chimp Hell will also be a part of the team. Yeah. Oh, I'm reading it. I'm reading it. <laughs> I'm here. And, and it will be led by Wonder Woman. What? Yeah. Yo, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I did not hear about this team. That's fucking rad. That's a cool yep. lineup. So Justice League Odyssey yeah, right. is the other new title, uh, and Snyder describes it as Justice League Space. Uh, <laughs> he says he tried to get permission to call the book Justice League WTF. <laughs> that that wasn't allowed. Uh, so it will be written by Joshua Williamson, and the art will be by... Stegipon Sedgic, yeah. I believe is how I you can, say that. It's like, that's the, uh, I forget where he's from, but that's the way you say Steven in that language. So I, I think he sometimes naturalizes it oh, to Steven. Oh, hold on. Hold on, guys, you're doing this wrong. Let Kale be the one to try to pronounce it. Oh, no. <laughs> Go ahead, Kale. <laughs> I, uh, I listen to the Longbox Boys say it every week. I believe it's Steven Sajic. Okay. Oh, oh, wow. That's what I'm, that's what I'm Holy saying. Holy shit, unprecedented. There you go. Uh, so the team is going to consist of uh, Green Lantern, Jessica Cruz, Starfire, Azrael, uh, Cyborg, and Darkseid. Got to have a Batman up there. <laughs> uh, so apparently he is their Hannibal Lecter, according to Scott Snyder. Uh, Snyder says they are dealing with an epic plot that has to do with his father, the source the source wall. Whole new areas that have opened up in space. They fly around in an old brainiac head with flames painted on it. That sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, so, kind of I sounds mean, like, good. I was just gonna say I really love Steven's art, so I'm I'm excited to see at least what this looks like because oh, of that. Yeah, it kinda sounds derivative of um the Guardians of the Galaxy thing where they uh meet in a giant celestial head called Nowhere when they collaborate on what they do with Cosmo, the cosmonaut dog. But uh I don't know. It I, I, I fucks with it. I, I talk shit on it. it makes no sense that Dark Side's there, which is true, but I'm not one of those comic readers that has to that has to have things make sense for him. Uh I fuck with it. Could be cool. It sounds derivative of space flight. That's what I was gonna say. I was like, they're flying around in a skull with flames. That's <laughs> oh yeah. shit! A book I read much more recently, and I completely forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go check out our book club on Space Riders. Plugs. Yeah. So, uh, both Justice League Dark and Justice League Odyssey will launch in June, and uh, Justice League No Justice which is sort of the uh, event that leads to all of this, um, we'll get a prelude that will appear in DC Nation Zero, which is uh, coming out really soon. So, 
yeah, uh, this is all fine. You know, announcements are announcements. Uh, depends on how it plays out. I really right. love the creative teams for both, for all three of these titles, quite frankly. I'm way into them. So, uh, what's your trepidation, Phil, on the creative teams? Not a big James Tinian guy. I think he's kind of like, uh, he's like a Duggan to me. He's, uh, just okay. And he's the one doing Dark, right? Yeah. That's what I'm most excited for. So I hope you're, I hope you're wrong. For his, uh, for his indie work, uh, The Woods is really, really good. So for, yeah, I'm excited for his, for his horror stuff. His detective comics actually is really, really good too. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, so lots of stuff coming down the pipe for DC Comics and the Justice League. DC, man, just fucking keep killing it. All right. So, as promised, we're going to hit you guys with some reviews for this week's biggest comic books. Uh, normally, we're not a review podcast. Reviews? What is this? The long box? <laughs> no, this is a good show. Right. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> I, like a dude. I, I don't even know what podcast you're talking about. Uh, but. This week, because of the incredible amount of great books that came out, we thought we would take the top three. Uh, just in terms of um, their magnitude, these are three huge releases, uh, and talk about them. So we're going to start with Dark Knight's Metal number number six, uh, the book that is ending, the book that has ended. Uh, Phil and I both read that one, uh, and uh, it's a doozy. Lots of content. Phil, why don't you take it away? So. Are you uh? Are you talking spoilers? Yeah, yeah, full yeah, spoilers. Yeah. spoilers for all this stuff. Okay, I am gonna I am gonna duck out of uh, yes. metal because I would like to go into it unspoiled as much as I can. So, please. So the uh, takeaway here, folks, if you read metal, is that we are all metal, <laughs> uh, and friendship is metal. Yes, it is. Friendship is metal, dude. Um. So, uh, Dark Knight's Metal Number 6 was pretty good, but it suffered from the same problem that every Scott Snyder book has, and that it did not stick the landing. This happens all the time with Scott Snyder books. The ending happened off-panel, and that was really irritating. So, it's just like, and then Barbados was defeated, and he was chained up in this, uh, in the, uh, Anti-matter or the dark matter region, and ha- as he had, had to watch everything kind of work out, and I was like, it's kind of anticlimactic, but okay. I compare it to like the ending of Final Crisis, which is what I felt like this was trying to be. Uh, Superman literally has to because de- they literally use the uh, the uh, the tuner, the like the universe, the multiversal tuner, and. It, it, it fails to land the ending properly. However, that said, it is still good. I like the hyper crisis shit, like when the hand from the beyond the source, which is presumably the reader, is the one that comes in and basically saves the day. That's very Morrison. I really like shit like that. I like all the meta Batman shit, where basically a swarm of Batman come in to fight the dark matter Batman. Um... In addition to that, there's the themes of what make Batman. So when Batman is fighting the Batman who laughs, there's the meta narrative point that Batman always wins. Because that's that's the entire narrative purpose of Batman stories that Batman always prevails. He always overcomes and what happens if two Batman are fighting each other, like that's a that's a paradox. 
<laughs> um, the one, the, the my biggest positive takeaway is that Scott Snyder loves Batman and he gets Batman, and I think as a writer, he is a very capable. He's very capable of structuring and dialogue. It's just I think sometimes he gets in his own way, and that's how I felt about the ending. And then the other, my other takeaway from this is that this was very much like, um, uh, what was that event from the late '90s DC had uh, before Infinite Crisis? Zero hour. Yeah, this was very much like Zero Hour. It was like a big broom came in kind of cleaned up a lot of their messes they had in, like, a nice, tidy way. It wasn't as big as a crisis, obviously, but it was very, like, it's very much like a zero hour, especially in the last few pages where it's like, this is, these are all our brand initiatives for the next six months to a year, (laughs) which is such a prominent thing that you see in in giant comic book events from the big two. Uh, That said, I did love seeing Detective Chimp and the Metal Men and things like that. That's assuring because this very much is, like, we're bringing DC back to its Silver Age roots, which is what they do every 10 years anyway. But right. I did enjoy seeing that. What do you think? So for me, this was like a lot of sound and fury uh, and a lot of pizzazz that ultimately felt it, it felt cool, but uh, it, it didn't. I don't feel like there was a whole lot of substantial stuff to it. Uh, and that's what I that's exactly what I was afraid of. Um, I liked it. Like, I thought a lot of it was cool seeing the 10th medal, uh, and, 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 you know, the Justice League have these new cool costumes and, and the significance of all that was all very nice. But at the end of the day, okay, you know, what, what did we learn? I don't think we really learned anything at all. Um, Batman's still going to do this. He's still going to keep secrets from his allies. We already saw at the end of the issue he is doing that because he's only telling Superman and Wonder Woman that about his plans that he has for the future. And, and we know that there's something coming that's massive that not every Justice League member knows about. So he's still behaving the same way. Um, I'm not even sure what happened to Carter Hall. Uh, like there's just so much that happened and so much of it felt unclear to me. And maybe that's just me like needing to be handheld. I don't know, but it felt like there was just a lot of stuff and a lot of, you know, panels were packed with things and and dialogue and, you know, and it just didn't really, there wasn't a lot to connect with. It felt like, yeah, I think that's fair. There, it felt like he was trying so hard to do the Morrison meta thing. And it left little in actual content. There were cool visuals like Joker, uh, Batman riding a Joker Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I remember the two panels that where, me up. <laughs> where, where, where Bruce punches the Joker Hydra in the nose and rides it. And I'm like, all right, well, this is comics. <laughs> uh, and I liked, I liked the meta things. The last panel is Bruce saying, I have a plan. Like, it's 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 neat. I like that Scott Snyder intimately understands the the dynamic of the character. But I think you're right. And from an actual substance perspective, there's little to really take away. In fact, I thought when the Justice League acquires the tenth medal, I was like, "This is out of nowhere." Also, this is gonna sell toys. 
Right. What? Where did they even get that from? Like, I, I guess I missed it. What happened? It's unclear. I remember at the end of the fifth issue, it was them uh, trying to, like, accumulate uh, all the ninth medals, which led to the tenth medal. And the tenth medal was you. It was friendship. Ah, uh, gotcha. Very cute. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I... This is how I often feel with DC events, where it's just so like there's so much that they're trying to do. Uh, there's not a lot of room to breathe. This could have realistically had another issue to it. Couple, uh, several. Yeah, I don't understand why they always. I feel they always do this, um, and uh, like the Batman versus the Man Who Laughs teaming up with the Joker, like that's cool, and I like I liked it, but it's like. What are the Batman who laughs powers? Like, how does he just get beat like that? Why? Like, what's the what's the the Joker's motivation to team up with the normal Bruce? Yeah, doesn't he just want to watch the world burn? Like, I just don't get it, man. Like, maybe maybe the world ending is not good for the Joker because then he can't do Joker stuff. But he always seems so willing to die that it doesn't matter anyways. Like, what does anything matter? He's a nihilist. Nothing matters. A lot of people on the internet were comparing that to the end of the the new Dragon Ball Super series where Goku and Frieza have to team up. And I was like, I guess that's the theme of the month right now. But Frieza wants to be in control so i could see a scenario where he's like i'll team up with you now but later on and mind you i haven't watched the show i'll team up with you now but later i'm gonna assert my dominance the joker doesn't care about any of this and where has he even been this entire time? <laughs> like he just appeared yeah and this is in the wake of supposedly I, I try not to get in the weeds of continuity stuff but this is supposedly in the wake of there being three different jokers out there right now which is still unexplained. So, which Joker is this? I, I, I don't know. The more we talk about it, the, the, the more sour I get. But, like, I had a good experience reading the book. I just didn't understand what I read. Like, I don't know. I, I understood it. It just, it, it traded uh, heady ideas for, and they weren't even that heady, for no. lack of, lack of depth. Right. I, I, I will say that I think this is DC's best event since probably uh, Bright, uh, Darkest Night. What? I think so. You you like this more than uh, than Dark Side War? Yeah. More than um, yeah. Oh my god! What was that one with uh, with the? Uh, oh my god! Why am I blanking? The the Evil Justice League. Oh, I guess that counts. Like this is this feels that one was phenomenal. Yeah, this feels bigger than that though, like in, in scope, because that book was like more of a Justice League tie-in. Like it was like a, 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 For, forever evil. That was its own thing. I guess it was. I, I guess the best is forever evil. Yeah, forever evil was better than this. Forever evil was also clearer than this. Jeff Johns, he's a master. I don't like Scott Snyder in this role as the like curator center piece of the DC universe in terms of the writer. I don't feel like he stand, like he does a great job in that position when he did the end of Batman. I thought that was great because he had something to say about Batman as a character. And that's it with this. There was so much to say so much to, you know, close out that it just, it's too much. That's what I thought this was really, I felt like this was a more grandiose 
punctuation on Batman because this was more Batman in the meta. This was more Batman as an abstract than what uh, he was doing as the as the climax of the New Fifty Two Batman run. Um, but you're right. Uh, everyone else in this book takes a backseat except for maybe Carter, except for the Hawks. Um, and he's clearly moving into the central role where he's going to be writing Justice League. And I don't know how I feel about Scott Snyder writing a giant team book, which we really haven't talked much about, but I don't know how that's going to be. Well, I'll say this. I don't really like to prejudge stuff much, uh, but based on what he actually did here with metal, my level of confidence is not super high. And again, I liked every issue. I thought overall this event was fun to read and it was solid, but as heady as it wanted to be, there's literally nothing that happened that I'm going to be thinking about uh, like next week or within the next few weeks, whereas Forever Evil, I thought about for a long time after. Um, Final Crisis, even though I thought it was weird as hell, I thought about that for a while after. Um, Dark Side War, like this didn't leave me with anything to chew on. And that's what I like about DC events is that they often do. You're right. After the fourth issue, I felt some content to chew over. I really liked when um, I liked the aspect of of the dark matter being like the, the discarded editorial pitches of a writer. And it really doesn't go deeper than that. <laughs> right. So uh, we'll see, though. We'll see what, what Justice League brings. And I do want us to talk about that as well because I – uh, especially with no justice, I feel like there's a lot of things on the in the pipeline for Justice League that could be a lot of fun. I, I, I do want to say I did like it. I do think it was probably the best event since Forever War. Um, it was a lot of it was a lot of flash, no substance. Yep, exactly. All right, so uh, now we're going to talk about Shattered Grid number one, or I guess Power Rangers twenty five, the first part of the Shattered Grid. Uh, event kale uh what do you think about this man i am here for it 100 percent yes I, I legit i loved it um i love the attitude jason was throwing around i loved um uh tommy and kim finally went on on that date we never got that 20 year old romance i've been holding in my heart for (laughs) (laughs) so what was the last issue of power rangers that you caught before this because i want to know if you felt lost so i read um i I believe i've read volumes one and two which i think takes me to maybe eight i believe there are four issues in the volume so. so so were you confused about anything that was happening? Um I not necessarily. Um I I I have like while I haven't been reading, I have sort of been keeping up with the general synopsis. So I I knew about Lord Draken. I knew that Tommy and Billy were the ones that sort of uh made it through whatever happened. So when they were talking about all that, I, you know, uh, while I didn't know what happened, I, I sort of understood the context. Um, didn't know Saba could teleport. Yeah. That's a new one. Um, I have, I have a, 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 a funny anecdote about, um, Saba and, and like the white ranger sword, if you guys would like to hear it. Yeah, far away. 
So uh, when the White Ranger first came around back in 1957, you know, when we were all very, very small, um, well, you guys were, uh, I, um, I obviously big fan, I got the White Ranger sword, Saba, for Christmas. Ooh, it was hot fire. <laughs> I love that toy. It was so fucking cool. It talked. You could you could move the little headpiece. I don't know why that was cool. It just fucking was. You could, you know, the blade retracted. It was sick. Um so my my younger brother was jealous. He didn't get anything that cool and he was just as into the Power Rangers as I was. Hawkins! This month this motherfucker straight up threw it away. Wow. What a savage. What Into a savage. fucking trash. <laughs> uh, so, Shane, if you're listening, they're still selling them at Toys R Us, and you might be able to find it on sale, you piece of shit. This is something Kale's going to get in 30 years as like a, as a token to try to like re- rediscover his lost youth and innocence. We, we haven't spoken since that day. It's the kind of thing you bring up in therapy where it's like, <laughs> you know, this really impacted me, but it's totally stupid. The therapy pals. Uh, therapist, help me, please. Yep, that's right. So, <laughs> uh, I really loved Shattered Grid. I thought that it was awesome. Um, and I think Kyle Higgins has done a phenomenal job with the Power Rangers since he jumped on board, and this was no exception. But uh, I did have a couple of things that I was like less than pleased with. One is that anybody who did not read at least the arc that Lord Draken first appeared in, like you don't, you have no clue what's going on. Um, and I think that that context is pretty important. You kept up with the with the synopsis, uh, but a lot of people, I'm positive, picked this up with without ever having read a Power Rangers issue yeah, before. they probably just saw so, that trailer and then were like, oh, this looks hype. Right, like... I don't know, even still, the, I mean, the main, you know, the, they, they talk about the context, you know, with Tommy and, and Billy and then uh, Ninjor and Saba, but if you, if you even at least watch the trailer, you know Tommy is Lord Draken. Yeah, but you don't know, like, you would expect coming in based on the trailer that what's likely happening is that he's going to them with the full might of his army to take the Power Rangers out of the equation. And that's not at all what happens in this book. Sure. Yeah. And I, I didn't expect what happened either. Right. Uh, the other problem that I had with the book was the art. I thought the art was strong, but I've enjoyed the art that the book has had. Uh, Hendry, I can't remember his his full name, but I got the book right here. Uh, actually, I only have the twenty the issue twenty five here in front of me. Uh, but Hendry, the the artist who's been the main artist on Power Rangers, I like what he brings to the table, and he was not the artist for this issue, so I I didn't love this art style. It didn't have that like epic feel that I felt was deserving of an, an, an event issue um but it's still it's still nice looking it's still a, a a pretty book but uh i just i just was missing hendry here uh otherwise i thought it's been exactly what the power rangers books have been for the last 24 issues which is uh, a lot of teenage drama which you gotta love if you are a fan of power rangers kick-ass action and it was cool to see 
other Rangers come into play, characters from Power Rangers lore who a lot of fans have forgotten about, including myself. Uh, all that was so cool, and I love what they're building here, uh, sort of making Lord Draken. You know, we've seen him as powerful as he is. We, we already got that. Now we're getting him using his cunning, conniving, scheming, uh, having to come from a place of not being powerful to try to get his power back. That is awesome, I think. And I, I think that's how we're going to see the Rangers defeat him. Um, because he, you know, Ninjor says, hey, man, you're not, you know, you're not um, at your full strength. Go upstairs. I got a punching bag for you. We can take care of this. And he goes, nah, you're a fucker. And we don't know what happens, but he, you know, he pieces out and goes after Tom. Right. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm really excited for the next issue. Uh I can't wait to see how things play out with Tommy. I mean, you know, again, it's full spoilers. He's dead? Question mark? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he, he stabbed with the green crystal so that Draken can um, supercharge it or whatever. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, this... Interestingly, though, I will say this felt like an issue of Power Rangers, not an event issue of Power Rangers, if that makes sense. Like, it didn't have necessarily the epic feel or scope that you would imagine uh, it would. It felt like a really good, like, it, it was great, but it, it felt like an issue of the of the book and not um, not any bigger than that, you know? Does that make sense? I, I wonder if that's what you would want, though. Um, like, I, I I feel like the, you know, we're going to see it ramp up as the, the book goes on. But I wonder, you know, I wonder if it were super epic. I mean, you know, the potential of Tommy's death is it, that's pretty big. Yeah. Uh, but there weren't there was only like the one glimpse of a crossover uh, with the t- with the. Uh, the pink time force ranger um i can i can i can see where you're coming from for sure um but i i do wonder if if it were bigger if that would feel if that would make it feel different yeah i guess i always i think about this from the perspective of somebody who does not read power rangers and if you're wanting to hook people in to read this event and then hopefully become fans of the comic book and really stick with it because this book is gonna sell amazing. But what will issue? What will the next issue do? Uh, I'm wondering if this book did enough to hook people in to want to come back for that next issue. It did it for me, but I'm an avid reader, so sure. I yeah I I I can't I can't say I you know I am a trade waiter, but I like you am an avid reader i am gonna go buy the trades so you know um for me i i think it did because you do want to have like there's the balance of making a grand gesture whatever that may be but also keep the book with the same feel and i you know for me the potential death of tommy is enough to at least to at least get you to the next issue, at the very least. Uh, there's also the drama of all the crossovers. Um, 
which I think we'll see, you know, that's that'll at least get me picking up the annual, which I think is supposed to have. It's got five different generations of Rangers on the cover, so you know, that's that could be something. Last question for you uh, on the subject of Shattered Grid. Do you feel like this it, this event is doing itself a disservice by not being a separate thing from the uh, Power Rangers books themselves? Because it's taking place across Mighty Morphin, Go-Go, and the uh, the annual, right? Or the, the... It'll be the Mighty Morphin annual, right. I think. Do you think this should be its own thing, or do you think that that's okay, how they're doing it? I, th- I think it'll work out okay. Uh, they typically include, um, like, the, the bulk and skull, you know, uh, small issues or whatever in the back of the trades as just a little continuation of the story. Um, so I, I think it'll be fine. I think, if nothing else, probably the annual will... Um, the annual will probably get us more adventures of the different generations of rangers like maybe together or something um but yeah i I think it'll work out okay there isn't you know it's not like a a marvel or dc event we're gonna have to do 15 different books in a crossover to make the event feel like it's gonna make sense if they if they really really wanted to uh you know they could make a really thick trade of Mighty Morphin and Go-Go with the annual in the back or whatever and just alternate the way things happen. I feel like you have to. I feel like you have to do it yeah. that way. But I mean if the if the if the event is only, you know, eight eight issues or so, that's not that bad. Yeah, that's that's definitely fine. I'm excited to see where it goes and uh the one positive side to the, to the way they're releasing is that we should get uh, issues faster than usual, presumably, because there's multiple creative teams working here. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Now, let's talk about the main event. We are talking Doomsday Clock number four, which is a doozy of an issue. We waited two months for this bad boy, and I was ready to come on this show and say, man, two months not worth the wait, can't do it, release this book faster, I'm checking out. I don't feel like that. This was absolutely phenomenal, I thought, but not what I expected. Who wants to start? That, Pete, you haven't said anything it's actually yet, what so. I, It's actually what I thought you were going to say, though, Sean. I thought you were going to say, not worth it. <laughs> I was ready for um, it. No, yeah, I, uh, I agree with both of the things you just said, Sean. Uh, well worth the wait, not at all what I was expecting. Um, but I think that was good. I, I I was saying this to fill off Mike. I think this might be my favorite issue so far. Um, I don't know if it's the best issue that the series has had. Like, I've been reading them so spaced out from each other because of this that, like, it's kind of hard to say that. But I feel like this is the issue I've enjoyed the most as a singular issue, if that makes sense. Um, as opposed to where I think it is feeding or where I think it's going. Like, just as a self-contained story, uh, I really enjoyed this issue quite a bit. Um, I really liked the, uh, the play between, um, the new Rorschach and Mothman. I thought that was like a really cool dig into the history of the Watchmen universe to like pull one of the OG Minutemen and like, you know, um, have him. Especially if you haven't read, especially if you haven't read before. Right, right, which I haven't. 
Um, so like, I know that they kind of changed his backstory in before Watchmen a little bit, like in the original Watchmen, you don't really know much about him, but he's kind of just like a, you know, bored, rich playboy. And they kind of played with that backstory a little bit, um, in before Watchmen. Like I went and read about it after this issue. Cause I was interested in, in learning the, the gap I had there. Um, but I, I thought they utilized him really well. And, uh, I, I thought that their relationship was interesting. And, um, I think, uh, particularly I really liked reading the letters at the end of the issue between him and his sister or between from him to his sister over the course of like several decades, um, while he was kind of just languishing in this mental institution. It's, it's sad. Um, but getting to see him kind of, uh, be reinvigorated by his relationship with Rorschach and his ability to help him and set him on his own path. Uh, I thought it was really beautiful. You know, I thought it was a really cool, really cool story. And, um, we got some confirmation of stuff that we had not been totally sure about. I know, I guess it was in issue two or three. Now, uh, we were discussing about the flashback that he had had to the event with Ozymandias and, you know, the, the attack on, um, I guess it was New York and um, uh, we weren't sure if that was a flashback or a vision or whatever. And it seems like we kind of have a much more solid understanding of Rorsch, the new Rorschach's timeline now, um, which I was thankful for. I didn't, I would, I wasn't upset that it was shrouded in mystery, but actually getting some of the blanks filled in, I thought was good. Uh, at least for me as a reader, and, uh, yeah, overall, I mean, I don't, I don't want to take all the time here cause I'd like to actually have a discussion, but I, I was really high on this issue. I thought it was really good. And, um, yeah, I mean, doomsday clock has just continued to prove itself to me, honestly, you know, it was, a, uh, an idea I was initially skeptical about and I was, you know, um, not negative about it, but vocal about my concerns. And I, I think that they were, um, you know, not founded, you know, I, I think so far, you know, we're a third of the way through the series now, and I'm really enjoying it, you know, and I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Phil? You see what you want to see, is what the Mothman said to Rorschach. Yeah. And when, for the longest time, that missing puzzle piece of Vite's face was left blank, when it finally is connected and the puzzle's complete, what he sees in Vite is the the cause of his parents' death. And like a moth to flame, he has a goal. He has a, he has a ambition. But then when he goes there, everything is not as it seems. This was a very good issue. I really liked it. The symbolism was a little on the nose, but it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's comics, man. I posted in our chat... Uh, this particular three panels uh, where it conflates uh, the sexuality and the violence surrounding uh, Michael, right? That's his name? R Reggie Long. I thought it was Michael Long for yeah. some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey! <laughs> Mikey Long. Uh, uh, surrounding Reggie's life as he f is first incarcerated in the wake of the attack in New York. And the, the way that Gary Frank illustrates it is like an inkblot test. And, and it, it, again, it like harkens to what do you see, Mr. Long? And it's this matter of perspective that leads him to becoming the second Rorschach. And I really appreciate the way 
Jeff Johns takes the bones of Watchmen, this non-character, non-characters in Watchmen, whether it's Mothman or the son of the the psychiatrist who's interviewing uh, uh, Korvax, um, and makes them into, like, fleshed-out, meaningful characters. This was a really solid issue. And the other takeaway here, before I pass it off, is... I like how it slows everything down, but then it also, it, the last page and little sprinklings throughout, you still feel this, uh, looming presence of Dr. Manhattan because there's blue lights. There's frequent shots of Mr. Freeze just because he's a blue dude. Um, <laughs> but that last page, you see the picture of Manhattan and his wife before the accident and like a moth to flame there's the looming threat of what Dr. Manhattan is doing to our world uh, atomized in his little logo at the very end great issue well, I think it's so cool that he's had such a presence in the book and we haven't even seen him yet you know like just the omnipresent you know like he's the catalyst here but we're not focusing on him and that's cool I, I like that a lot Kale, you want to jump in? I I did really enjoy it. I I man, it's it's that case. It's that case of I I sort of felt like there was so there was so little here. I wanted more, but at looking at it, it's like no 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 no. You don't know what you have. You know. Um, it. I think the the big thing that is really interesting here is is sort of the how you make a Rorschach you know (laughs) how do you how do you how do you make someone who is as like gross and twisted as the original Rorschach through circumstance you know um I, I, I did think it was interesting at the end of the issue where he's like my father was a good man trying to protect people just like Kovacs and I was like well <laughs> he sees what he wants to see right it's a good point same, yeah same same as Vate like you know he went to he went to Vate to kill him because he saw him as a villain but then he saw that that's what he wanted too um and I I, I do I, I I wanted to point out the the appearances of of, of, of Dr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze? He's a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Mist. He really downgrades his occupation, I guess. For no reason, yeah. It's like you work for that doctorate, man. Flaunt it. <laughs> um I I sort of I sort of felt like that was more to kind of ground us to remind us where we are because the the images are so similar you know he's in arkham and then he's in you know whatever mental institution is in the the watchman universe but i i do also sort of think you're right that the 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 freeze image evokes dr manhattan and i hadn't i hadn't really seen that probably a little bit of both honestly you know like yeah yeah um, I'm very curious as to who this Jane Doe oh, is. Oh, I have an explanation for that, but go on. I have a theory there. I'm interested Please. to hear yours, Phil. Oh, it, yeah, I don't have. I don't have one. I'm. I'm genuinely oh, it, curious. Oh, it's Saturn Girl. 
so in DC Rebirth number one and also in the button, there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing of the return of the Legion of Superheroes. And there's a lot of oh, sure. there's a lot of speculation from readers that the Legion of Superheroes are going to make a prominent role in the latter half of Doomsday Clock. Hmm. Be- because by huh. by design and, and by uh, what they are, they're very pure Silver Age, pure DC, which comes at such a stark contrast of what uh, Watchmen is, which is a deconstruction of the Silver Age of comics. Um. Yeah, that's Saturn Girl, my dude. That's awesome. It especially works because she straight up says, I've been reading your thoughts. Wow. That's cool, man. I That was not my theory. So, <laughs> awesome. I've been in your mind. I've been in your mind for a few days now. And whoa, is that a busy place? <laughs> is what she says. Like, whoa. I, I really, I thought this issue was absolutely stunning. Uh, and it, it, it proves, I think, that this book for anybody who was still questioning whether this book has a right to exist, it does. Uh, and Jeff Johns is taking characters we didn't even know existed and making them relevant, making them important figures in the entire like lexicon of the Watchmen without crapping on what Watchmen is already. Like It's not like he didn't revive Rorschach. He's dead. As far as we are aware, he's still dead. Walter Kovacs is gone. This is a new Rorschach who now we're getting we're getting an intimate understanding of who he is, right? Um and we're I mean, we knew who Walter Kovacs was. We there is that origin issue, but this feels closer because it's rooted it's it's rooted in events that we saw happen years ago when we first read Watchmen. He's feeling the effects he is the only person who we've gotten to really be close to who whose life is altered by what happened at the end of Watchmen and the horror of those events has never been more apparent like we couldn't understand it until we got Reggie Long because his whole life was shattered by this event and that makes it so much more heinous we can we can get Okay, yeah, millions of people died, whatever. Millions of people die all the time in comic books. That doesn't matter. Here's a guy who lost his mind as a result. And his family. And his family and all these other people who also lost their minds and presumably their families. So that's a genius. I was just going to say, I just feel like this issue really drove that home, too, because he was talking about the things he saw. You know, like, like he was describing like piles of bodies or like watching a child blow up like a fucking ketchup filled balloon and just these very like intimate descriptions of what it was like to be there on the ground, you know? And like, that's, yeah, like that, that does give you a way closer to connection to those events in a way that I don't think we've ever felt. No, we couldn't have. So, uh, I, I, I thought that. We needed, I think now that I've read the issue, I realize we needed the issue to give us that attachment to Reggie. Um, and further context, like I've been, I've been saying since the beginning, I believe this is the son of Malcolm. And here we are. Uh, and it's great to have that confirmation because now that's one less question we have to move forward with. Um, go ahead. Phil. He went from being Rorschach to the Reggie Long. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. he feels less like a plot device. Like it does like it, it when you see the straight line of how he becomes Rorschach, it's like, oh. 
Okay, like like he didn't decide he was just gonna start dressing up as Rorschach and go out and do this. Like Mothman set him on this path, and you're like, oh, like that's a really like this origin makes sense and is interesting. It doesn't just feel like well, we needed a new Rorschach because Rorschach's dead. I I, I do want to say we can't discount the possibility that Rorschach is alive because the comedian is alive. Of course, uh, yeah. Any anything is open, right? But this shows me. And I, I felt this way since the get-go, but it, it further reinforces the idea that whatever Jeff Johns does, it's going to be done with respect and with purpose. class, and it's going to be done to further the story. Yeah, purpose it's not and be done, thought. <laughs> right. It's not going to be done to sell toys. It's not going to be done to bring people to bring people in to read the book. It's going to be done because it makes sense for the story. Yeah. And it's because it's the story he wants to tell. Right. And like he has something to say in this universe, which is always my primary concern, because like I didn't read before Watchmen. Right. I said that um, the thing that turned me off from it was that it didn't feel like it was purposeful. It felt like it was an event. It felt like it was an event to bring the characters back, to sell books, to show that they can do something with this property again. And, and like with the right talent, it's it'll it'll be worth it. And, you know, a lot of people really like those books a lot. So I'm not here to shit on them. Um, but it felt different just in the way it was delivered. You know, like, I feel like they're not hyping up Doomsday Clock, like, in the way that they could be, in a way that was gross or the exploitive of the Watchmen characters or the name Watchmen. You know, like, they're not calling it Watchmen Doomsday Clock. It's just Doomsday Clock. Like, it's it's a new step in this universe in a way I didn't think we would ever get, and I didn't think I wanted. And that's fucking awesome. Like, that's a huge achievement. People people get very protective of Watchmen, uh, A, because of its status and stature and the history and the echelons of the industry and the art, but also because people are very defensive of what of Alan Moore's feelings on, on his exploitation from the book because he felt very conned by DC over the uh, uh, republishing of it. Um, I think Pete's right, though. I, I mean, we've talked about this before, but... This feels, and Sean and I kind of have been very defensive of this from uh, the get-go. Sean was very much more persuasive than I, but uh, this is something that Jeff Johns, this is a story he had to tell, and I'm glad he's the one telling it. Yep. I mean, there are there the, the list of writers and, and artists, frankly, who could do this right is very short. I, I believe it to be very short. Yeah, yeah, man. Especially as we're watching it unfold. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, um, just to take it back to clarify my point further, that's kind of what I mean about when I make the comparison to Before Watchmen. Because, like, anybody can write a prequel of stuff that's already done. You know, like, Doomsday Clock is uniquely Jeff John's story. And, like, no one else could do Doomsday Clock. Someone else could do something like this. But like this, this story we're getting right here right now is like, this is special. And it's like, it's specifically his vision for this universe. And like, I think he's executing it really well. You know, like he's earning the right to do it. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how, how it shakes out. If, if the Legion part is, is true. Um, because that, you know, especially when you, well, I say that, uh, especially when you involve the Watchmen characters, but we have Dr. Manhattan. So. Supposedly, uh, 
the Shazam family is going to play a large role as well. So, Fuck. because they're another yes. very like uh, energetic and positive yeah. force of DC. Um, Golden Age, baby. So I, I have two things, two minor gripes with the book, I guess, just to bring it down a little bit. Uh, I still think it's really stupid that Batman just locked him up in Arkham Asylum. I mean, I understand there was purpose, but like Batman could just drop people off without due process in Arkham just just cause. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. I mean, hey, yeah. <laughs> like not to not to not to lean on the you know the shitty he's Batman trope, but like he's fucking Batman. Like, right. yeah. A, yes, he can do that because he's Batman. B, that I don't think that's like too far fetched. Com- like given the um qualifiers right like it's not like he just dropped some citizen of gotham off it's a guy who showed up at his house who has no identification no fingerprints no anything on the system because he's not from this fucking universe and he's talking about how he's from another dimension and like all kinds of shit like i I don't think that's if you if you're an employee or a director at arkham that that's not that's not substantial enough to be like yeah we should incarcerate this guy just because we have no records of him. Well, I'm sure. I, I'm sure it's frustrating <laughs> as fuck for the people who. But if 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 you're a guy who says he's from another dimension, I don't think he said that to the. He boys, has though. no. Well, but they also have no. Uh, they have no record of him. They have no record of his fingerprints. You know, and he like you know he like a lot of time passes here we don't exactly know what he has told them but i think it's safe to assume they can't just let him out yeah and it's like what are they gonna put him in like i I don't know like you're right he would have to go to prison but it's also like or not prison um he would have to go through his due process but like how do you charge someone that you don't know any information about like he doesn't like that's why he's there in therapy like they're trying to figure out who he is um and then the other gripe I had was, I don't like that Vate or Vite was is so remorseful for what he did because I think it, I think it dilutes the ending of Watchmen of and the moral amb- ambiguity of it because it's supposed to be a moral exercise of is what uh, Ozymandias did morally justifiable, whereas if he is regretting it. It almost it it, it 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 takes a dump on what Alan Moore was actually trying to convey, and I wasn't crazy about that. Yeah, it, it does undercut that moral question. I mean, we already have seen that what he did didn't work. So yeah, he would feel that way in retrospect, but in the moment, he thought he was doing the right thing, and I don't think that that takes away from Watchmen at all because Watchmen doesn't show you the aftermath. This does. No, that's true. I, I didn't consider, I wasn't considering uh, how it didn't work. So that's a totally fair and salient point. And it's decades removed, right? Like at this point, it, no? It's it's like no, a few it's like years. A, oh, it's like a year later. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I guess because it's 1992, I guess, when he tracks down Ozzy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's a couple years removed, and he says, like, he had a change of heart. Like, he realizes the error, like, that he made a fucking mistake, and that, like, his mistake, quotes, uh, you know, led to the death of millions of people and the suffering of thousands and thousands more. And, like, of course he would feel some kind of way about that. He also didn't realize it until he figured out he had 
a brain tumor or whatever the fuck he says. Right. I, and and on top of that, I guarantee you that if things had gone the way he thought they would have, he wouldn't feel this way. Right. It's all it's yeah. all hindsight right. and context. Fair enough. So uh, I, I did want to highlight the art before we uh, close out because it's so good to me, th- this was probably the issue that impacted me most on, on an art front. I think Gary Frank really, really, really nailed every single page of this book. And there are parts of it, man, that are so phenomenal. When, when Mothman is, 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 uh, flying away. The first time? Like, yeah. I was like, okay, what is this? Like, this dude's gonna just fall on his face. And then he doesn't. And it was, it looks so good. Yeah, it was beautiful. It so good. Uh, and then the panel, Phil, that you linked, or, or the, the series of panels, like, you could look at that for a long time. And, and there's just so much there. You have, you have his roommates, or his roommate kissing his girlfriend, the way it's framed. Like, Gary Frank is doing phenomenal stuff here in terms of the, the way he's telling the story through the art. Lots of artists tell stories through art. That's their job. But this is like, this is adding a whole other layer to the story in the same way that Watchmen is a story told through words and art. This is the same. And so many comics don't do that. No. Yeah, no. I, and you're absolutely right. Uh, far, far too few comics do that effectively. Um, and I think my favorite moment, and it's a small one, um, is uh, that three panel it's at the end of a page, that three panel thing of, of him looking at the Rorschach test and like, what do you see? And then he's like a moth and it's just that close up on his eyes. And it's so the line work is so fucking intense. And I was just like, it's just so expressive. You know, he does such a good job with like facial emotion and like really portraying feeling through looking at a character rather than telling us how they feel, you know? And that's huge. Like that's that's one of the things that Watchmen does best, you know, is allowing a moment to breathe by not over explaining shit. Because even comic books I like do that shit all the time, you know, where like they're info dumping in the dialogue or they're explaining something that they already showed to you so that you make sure you really understand it. Like Doomsday Clock does not do that. It does not hold your hand because it doesn't need to. And that's fucking awesome. Like Frank just knows what he's doing. And like it's obvious that he's taking his time. And like, maybe this is one of the examples of how the, the bi-monthly schedule is going to ultimately lead to a better product, you know? Yeah, I'm not concerned. I wasn't terribly concerned when they announced that there were going to be delays to the previously anticipated monthly schedule. Because at the end of the day, these are two masters at their craft and... Gary Frank is a premier artist. I don't know. He's on the shorthand of the best artists in the industry. You know what I mean? And if he needs time to create what he made here in this issue, then I think he deserves that time. Because at the end of the day, this isn't going to be remembered. People, this is going to be remembered as a 12-issue book that people are going to read as a trade, as a hardcover. So give it the time it needs, nurture it to make it the best possible book because Gary Frank is 
creating and cultivating something very, very meaningful from an artistic standpoint. Yeah, the legacy of this book is more important than us waiting two months yes. for an issue. Same with the original. Yep. Yeah. Like the original, the original uh, was horrendously delayed with almost every issue, especially the latter. And guess half. what? Good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, not the issue we expected, but the issue we deserved. Oh, uh, nice. For sure. Um, the one we needed, at least. The one we needed and the one we deserved. Just remember. <laughs> I, I mean, listen. Have you listened to this show? We don't deserve this stuff I this good. This. Just, just remember. I'll give. Okay, fine. Just, I'll give you that. Just remember, the miracle is not to walk on water. The miracle is to walk on earth. Yes. I fucking love this book. God damn it. I fucking guess. I love it. Uh, so we'll we'll be back with another Doomsday Clock review number five uh, in two months. Sadly, um, but again, worth every bit of the wait. And uh, we'll probably keep you posted on Shattered Grid as well. As that develops, let us know what you thought of these reviews. Let us know if there are other books you'd like us to talk about on the show, because uh, we're open to doing that since we aim to please. And there are many ways that you can reach us. Uh, We are on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, where you can leave us a like rating and a comment. Uh, We're also on SoundCloud and most other podcast hosting platforms. Uh, You can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, where you can write in with a buy or sell, a random question, or you can talk to us about anything we talked about on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. And last but certainly not least, we are on YouTube, where you can like this video, share it with your friends, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. Uh, programming alert for you guys. We do have our uh, All-Star Superman uh, book club episode dropping really soon. Uh, I'm blanking on the date, but really soon. I think it's the 6th. Yeah. No. The 8th? Hold on. I'm going to look at the... Someday. I think it's the 6th. The 7th. It's the 7th. No, it's not. It's the 6th. It's definitely the 6th. It's the 6th. I believe it because it's Friday. <laughs> okay. Uh, So next week, next week, uh, that should be out for you guys. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Um, We're really excited. It's a book that uh, obviously is very celebrated, uh, and there's a great reason for that. So we'll be talking about that really soon. And Phil Wilhulse, which I know he's really excited about. Um, And uh, yeah, so with that, oh, and I won't be here next week, so I'm sorry for you guys. Uh, You're going to be left with the, uh, the other guys. Um, I'm I'm sorry for me. <laughs> I'm sorry for you too. Um, so with that, let's do some plugs, Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. Remember, if you want to get some more content from me, you can catch me and Sean on our uh, video game podcast, The Video Game Pals. It posts the day after the show every uh, on podcast platforms and then Monday through Thursday alongside the Comics Pals over on YouTube. So make sure you go check that out if you're a gamer. Uh, and then you can also catch me and Kale over on our Riverdale Review show, The Riverdale Review with Marco, um, where we talk about Riverdale every week. Uh, I think this is our last episode before the break, right? Next one? I think, I think so. so. Yeah. Uh, so it should be a good one. Make sure you tune in. And uh, well, <laughs> and then um, you can also catch me on the relaunch of our uh, Monday through Thursday Let's Play show, Pals Play, with Thompson from the Video Game Pals. Uh, we are playing Far Cry 5 this week, and we had some fucking fun with it. Really, really good episodes. Make sure you go check those out. Um, episode 4 in particular is fucking hilarious. So uh, please tune in and give that a, a view. And... Um, 
Yeah, if you want more content from me, go check out my writing over at CBR. I've got an article this week about all new Superman um, or new Superman, not all new Superman. Um, and, uh, I had a lot of fun reading it. So please go check it out. Help me pay the bills. Uh, make sure you click through on my author title and click on some of the news articles I've been writing because it helps me be able to afford food. <laughs> and then if you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about doomsday clock. I want to talk about it. Cool. Cool. Uh, if you want to hear me dissect, uh, another book, uh, with far less hope. Um, you can hear me on the long boxes short box. Uh, last week I, uh, was on with Tyler and Matt and we talked about identity crisis and, uh, how reading it in, uh, 2018 was very disillusioning for me. <laughs> uh, if you want to find my uh, comics work, you can find it on Comixology under Panels Panels Publishing. You can also find uh, the rest of the Panels crew's work on uh, selfie.com slash Panels Publishing. And you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Phil. <clears throat> well, hold on, Phil. Uh, what? This is... Who's this Bill? is Marco from Earth 2. You can... <laughs> You're being really rude to our guest, Pete. Peter and Bessie, bite your tongue. I need to get through my plugs. (laughs) I'm sorry, Earth 2 Marco, go ahead. As always, you can also follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto. The name is ironic because I hate anime. (laughs) You can talk to me about Man-Thing, which is my favorite superhero character. (laughs) All right, well, cool. Thanks, Marco. Anytime, Phil. Take care, boys. All right, cool. All right. That gag's going to work really well on the video. You can follow me at uh, Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we do, in fact, have the All-Star Superman Book Club coming up. That should be a very good episode, hopefully. Uh, so check that out. And then Sean and I are going to do a uh, WrestleMania weekend review at some point. Uh, that, that should drop in a week or two, probably. I guess a, w- a little over a week. Whenever Sean gets back from New Orleans. And... Um, yeah, that's it for me. So just go follow my stuff. Cool. Uh, so you can get me on Twitter only at Sean Soapbox, where you can talk to me about uh, your WrestleMania predictions, your feelings about Doomsday Clock 4, Shattered Grid, or the end of Metal, and uh, whatever else you want to talk about. So with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See ya next week. Thanks for listening. I hope Earth 2 Kale is as handsome as I am. Ha, 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 ha.